welcome to the Healthy Gospel Church podcast, a podcast where we explore all aspects of church life while also shining a spotlight on good practice in your local church. My name is David Meredith, I'm the Mission Director for the Free Church of Scotland based in Edinburgh and I'll be your host. If you like what you hear, then please like, share and subscribe. Spread the news. Well, my guest today is Conrad Makohari. Conrad is from Malawi, so it's really good to get an African contribution to our Healthy Gospel Church podcast. Sorry for the delay for the last couple of weeks. We've had one or two technical issues, but we're back uh, for three more um, podcasts this session, and then we'll have a a little break, and then we'll start another series. Conrad, a a config, sorry. (laughs) Very, very warm welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Debbie. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Confex. Yeah, yeah. So as you already say, my name is uh, Confex Makaria uh, from Malawi, uh, Southeast Africa. I uh, was born and raised here. Um, right now, I'm serving as a pastor. We just planted our church called Christ Christian Church uh, in the city of Blanta uh, in Malawi. And uh, I'm married to my wife, Mai. Lord has blessed us with two girls, Evangeline, uh, who will be turning uh, nine this month, towards the end of this month, and uh, Eliana will be turning seven next month. That's great, Confix. Can you tell us about your faith journey? Were you raised in a Christian home? Yes, yes. So, uh, yeah, the Lord has been gracious to me. I was raised in a Christian home, so uh, my my father uh, passed away when I was very little. Uh, so the areas of my life, I was raised by my grandfather, uh, who was a godly man who loved the Lord. He was uh, a church elder in the Presbyterian Church uh, in Malawi called the CCAP. Uh, so growing up, he taught me the Bible and uh, he would read to me uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, uh, which was translated into our local language uh, called Chichewa. So by then, because I was little, I could not memorize and read by myself. So he would read that to me and ask me to memorize uh, as he read, read out the answers to me. So that's how uh, that's how I grew up. Uh, but later on, uh, towards the end of my teenage years, I rebelled against the world and uh, walked away from my Christian faith, um, stopped going to church, just wandered into the world, doing all kinds of things that a teenager who is rebelling against the world would do and be involved in. Um, until um, later on, a friend of mine in secondary school uh, invited me to a youth conference uh, that was organized by his church. Uh, so I went there. And uh, the preacher preached from Acts chapter number 2, verses 37 up to 39, in which Apostle Peter had just preached to the Jews. And he was reminding them how the Lord had been gracious to them, that he had chosen them as a nation, and he had sent them a Savior, Jesus Christ, and they uh, rejected him and crucified him. Uh, So that uh, message was very convicting to me because uh, I was looking back at my life, how the Lord had been gracious to me. Uh, to give me a very rich Christian heritage. Uh, my grandfather was a godly man who taught me the word of God and I had rebelled against that and I had walked away from that. So that was very convicting. And uh, with that, after that message, I uh, went into my room and prayed that the Lord would forgive me and I would receive me back to himself. So that marked um, 
really my ten points. So to answer your question, I believe um, I, I don't know the day in which we are never trusted in the world, but uh, uh, the rebellious side in me rebelled against him, and then the world used this uh, preaching to bring me back to faith. Uh, and that was in two thousand. Yeah, that, <clears throat> that that that's a great story. Let's go back a little bit now. You are in Malawi. There is a great connection between Scotland and Malawi. In fact, the Free Church of Scotland and, and Malawi. Whenever anybody thinks about Malawi, uh, you think of David Livingston, and there are more Presbyterians in Malawi than there are in Scotland, which is quite yes. I- ironic. Um, was Scotland always in your consciousness? Yes, yes. So, yeah, so studying church history, um, growing up, and of course with names like Blancha, where I am, uh, you hear, well, this uh, city was named after the uh, the home village, the Livingstone. So, yeah, I've had that always in my mind. And um, to me, really, I've said to my friends who are from Scotland that to me, I view Scotland as our Holy Lands, uh, because really it's where the Lord used the missionaries from Scotland to bring us the gospel here uh, in Malaya. So for that, I'm very, very thankful. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you've made, made a bit of a study, David Livingston. Is he someone of interest to you? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. So, yeah, uh, growing up, of course, uh, uh, in Malawi schools, even in uh, public schools, we learn church history and for sure it will cover uh, David Livingstone. So I knew of him when I was in school uh, growing up. But then my, my interest uh, in him uh, grew when I uh, went to Bible college and studying more about uh, church history and um, just getting interested in the sacrifice that men like him made in order to bring the gospel to Malawi and other places in Africa. My interest just grew. So I've had uh, interest um in David Livingstone, and uh, recently, as you know, I was in Scotland. Uh, my uh, my friend, my dear friend, um, uh, and along with, I uh, made sure that I visit Scotland. So we visited Blanta, where David Livingstone was born. Uh, yeah, I, I was able to um, give you the most recent biography of David Livingston, published by Christian Focus Publications. By the way, this this podcast is not sponsored by Christian Focus, so uh, I've got no skin in this game. Vance Christie's got a great biography of David Livingston. How, how have you enjoyed that so far? Yeah, no, thank you, David, for sharing that. Uh, really, as you know, it's a heavy book, but I was willing to make sure that I create room for it in my luggage coming back to Malawi. And uh, I made it safely in Malawi with me. I've been going through the book. I mean, uh, this is like um, a very detailed biography. And I'm so thankful for the work uh, that our brother has done, uh, Vance. And uh, thank you for that. Yeah, I've, I've enjoyed it. I'm still going through it, as I told you, and it has been a blessing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, Christian Focus have done another one uh, on C.H. Spurgeon, which is, you know, uh, absolutely excellent. It's a similar uh, detail. I, w- I want to talk about some controversy, confects. Um, over here, a lot of folk, you know, would give David Livingston a bad name. They say that the early missionary enterprise was inextricably linked with imperialism. So people, especially you know, in secular folk, uh, and even, sadly, Christians have bought into this. What's your, what's your response to the allegation 
that David Livingston was simply a tool of imperialism and that he was driven by economic forces and not spiritual motives. Yeah, no, I, I think I'll have, I'll have a different take on that one uh, because you look at David Livingston, really, um, the main thing that uh, brought him to come to Africa was their part uh, for the people of Africa that they should know the gospel. No doubt about it, because him uh, studying to be a medical doctor, he wanted really to be a missionary. So you look at his life. And of course, these are early days. Uh, lots of things are happening. Um, and David Livingston is coming here to Africa, and he also knows that for the first time, he's like opening uh, Africa to to the UK and maybe to other European countries that can do business. And he's seeing the potential there as well, and, and good intentions. Um, I don't think personally that he had that idea that, uh, okay, I'm going to open a way so that uh, the British Empire can expand his kingdom or the way to these places that I visit. I, I don't think so. And in, in context of Malawi, it's very interesting because uh, when David Livingston comes to Malawi, um, he's preaching the gospel for sure, but also exploring uh, the ways there that uh, trade can can happen between Malawi and the uh, United Kingdom and other European countries, I believe. And one of the things that uh, uh, comes to, to his realization is slave trade. Uh, and this is this is very bad. Uh, uh, Malawi has then called Yasaland, or before it was even called Yasaland, the Malawi Kingdom is there, uh, are, are suffering because of uh, slave trade. And really, his heart goes out and thinks of the ways, how can we help to end this? And so one of the things that he's thinking about is opening this, uh, this country to trade, so that hoping that uh, good trade can replace slave trade. That's what, what is going in his mind. But also, again, he, Malawi becomes a British protectorate, mainly because of his appeal. He's asking the British government to make this a protectorate so that uh, there is no Arab slave trade uh, going on in Malawi, but also even the Portuguese are not coming to Malawi to buy slaves. That's, that was the whole idea. Uh, he never thought of uh, the British government coming to take over. Uh, you, you don't see that anywhere else. So I find it really hard to justify that. Uh, I think maybe because we are looking uh, at uh, history from uh, modern uh, eyes, maybe we can think of that. But if you are to be sincere and look at the record of what is happening in the in the 19th century and early 20th century. I think it's hard to justify that. Yeah. Okay. That's great hearing that from an African perspective. I mean, there's so so many great Livingston quotes. I mean, famously he said, "God send me anywhere, only go with me. Lay any burden on me, only sustain me, and sever any tie in my heart except the tie that binds my heart to yours." Um, you know. You know. And, and then he said, "I will. I will go anywhere, providing it is forward." So you know, he was a man consumed for zeal for the Lord. Lord Jesus Christ. Um, let, let me talk about, uh, I mean, a few other things. The, the whole continent of Africa intrigues us, Confex, because we know that the gospel is thriving in the majority world. It's thriving in Latin America. It's thriving in, in Africa. However, there's good and bad. Can you give us a little Bit, bit of a picture, um, certainly of, of the Malawi situation, but also the greater continent of, of Africa. How, how would you summarize the, 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 the cause of the gospel and are churches healthy in, in Malawi? 
Yeah, I think, uh, David, that's a good question. And exactly what you're saying, um, this describes most parts of Africa. Um, there are many uh, who would say that they're Christians. Uh, but again, one wonders, uh, the continent has lots of Christians. Uh, if we are to go by a profession of faith, but also it's one of the continents that is um, riddled with so many, many uh, challenges. Uh, you talk of corruption, uh, you talk of um, so many evils going on. And really what, what you see is that uh, uh, most of the people who profess to be Christians, they're just nominal Christians um, because we've been, um, we've grown up no going to church, uh, we've grown up knowing uh, the basics of the faith, and people think that uh, that's what makes them Christians. And uh, the same challenge is here in Malawi, uh, much nominalism, um, but also the prosperity, the so-called prosperity gospel has not helped at all because uh, uh, Malawi and Africa in general, one of the challenges that we face is poverty. And uh, prosperity gospel promises uh, freedom from poverty and suffering, but he's not able to deliver that. And that is very appealing. So you find someone who has been struggling, uh, who doesn't have any idea where his next meal is going to come from, and you come to him and you tell him that Jesus uh, loves you, and if you believe in him, he's going to give you food, and not only just food, but he's going to give you a better house, maybe a better job, and all that. That is better thing. And that's, uh, that's what has attracted so many people. So you see that it's not the gospel uh, that you are a sinner and you need Christ to save you from your sin, and the Lord loves you in his son. Uh, he has sent him. Uh, he has sent him out to provide a way of salvation. It's not that message. So people are attracted more to these physical benefits and physical blessings that are going to get from Christ, but not necessarily because they fully understand that they need Christ to save them from their sin, which is the worst problem that they have. So because of that, we have so many churches that are full with people that are really like just John chapter number six following Jesus Christ because they ate the bread, but not because they believe in him as the savior. Uh, so yes, that's the same challenge that we have in our country. We have so many people that would claim to be Christians, but really they do not know who Christ is and what it means to be saved from sin. Yeah, I mean, uh, the church attendance in Malawi is 70%, which is absolutely huge compared to, you know, Scotland, that's maybe 3-4% just now. Would you go as far as to say that prosperity teaching was an epidemic in Africa? It is, yes, it is, and a huge one for that matter. Because uh, right now you can even look at uh, churches uh, that were faithful or... The, the other term that is used, mainline churches, that the, at first did not succumb to the so-called prosperity gospel. But right now, you can go into mainline churches. Uh, you can even go to churches that were faith. Because at first, uh, prosperity gospel was associated more with Pentecostal churches. But it's no longer the case right now, at least in Malawi. When you come to Malawi, even churches that are not Pentecostal, uh, what they are preaching is the prosperity gospel. So it has spread, and um, yeah, it's a poison that is destroying churches and destroying many souls in our country. 
Okay. Now, you are an ordained PCA minister. You you're seminary trained at Puritan Reformed. Can you tell us, how does, you know, traditional Westminster Confession, um, Reformed theology, how, how does that go down in Malawi? Uh, is there much of a listening for it? Clearly, it's something that really fits the bill there, but how, how's it going? Yes, so, um, yeah, this, this story of my Christianity in Malawi is very interesting because the first missionaries, as we were just discussing about David Livingstone and really the Free Church of Scotland coming uh, to the northern part of Malawi and then the, the Church of Scotland coming to the southern part of Malawi and then the Dutch Reformed Church coming, uh, by, uh, coming to the central part of Malawi. These were the earliest missionaries that came here, of course, with the Anglican Church as well. And, and, and as you know, the Free Church and the Dutch Reform, these are Reformed churches. And uh, what they're bringing to Malawi is the Reformed faith. So from the very onset, really, the first missionaries, most of them, not all of them, most of them were Reformed. And the churches that they were planting were Reformed churches. Uh, but over the years, things things have changed. Uh, and, of course, the prosperity gospel is one of them that has just corrupted churches uh, so churches, uh, it's, it's, it's not uh, uncommon to find churches that would say they are reformed on paper, but in practice, they are not. And I think that's one of the things that uh, I have wrestled with. Uh, so growing up, as I was saying, being introduced to the Westminster Shorter Catechism and knowing, okay, this is the Christian faith, and then going to a Bible college that was uh, mainly influenced by reformed professors, African Bible College, most of the professors during my time were from PCA, uh, Presbyterian Church in America, that would come and teach here, and most of them were Reformed as well, and they are just growing in my understanding of the Reformed Church, and then looking back at my church and seeing that uh, this is not the Reformed faith as, as we know it, and uh, wrestling with that, and even wrestling with my own pastor, sitting down with him, say, well, I've learned the Reformed faith, but what we do in our church is not that. And my pastor has been agreeing with me to say, yes, I think we have departed from that. And then asking him, what, what, what's the solution then? And uh, one of the things that he pointed out to me is, one of the solutions to this, uh, uh, this challenge that we are in is uh, the beginning of planting of churches that are more faithful. Because it might be difficult to change uh, these old churches that have already uh, taking a particular direction in terms of doctrine and practice, it might not be easy. And uh, usually young people like us coming up in there, as they say, children are, are supposed to be seen, not be heard. Uh, that also is, is it's culturally correct in our context where children are supposed to keep quiet uh, even when they're seeing something is wrong. And, and I knew that it's going to be um, a huge, uh, a huge and an uphill battle to fight for a change uh, in these churches that are already established in that direction. But also, I didn't want to just cause unnecessary division. And uh, for me, eventually, what I decided was um, I'm going to leave my church and go get uh, trained as a minister, uh, get a better understanding of the Reformed Confession of Faith. And uh, the world opened the door for me at the Reformed Theological Seminary. I would I went there, but my desire had always been, yes, I get a good and a better education in the Reformed Confession of Faith so that I can come back to my own country and begin planting churches 
that are faithful preaching the gospel, but that are also reformed and true to uh, reformed professions. And that's what we we have done so far. This is our first church plant in Blanta. We've planted that one. And uh, what we really, we are planting another one next year. Um, a friend of mine who also went to Purity and Reformed Theological Seminary has just returned. And next year, we hope we will start planting another church. So that's, yeah, that's uh, the state of the affairs right now. And that's what we are trying to do um, in terms of seeing that uh, we have more reformed confessional churches planted uh, in Malawi that are also Presbyterian. Yeah, that, that's fascinating. Um, I mean, I was uh, in, in the home of a CCA pastor, you know, some years ago, and he, this is incredible. He only had three books, three books. Um, I, I, you know, I was really shocked by that. Uh, would it be true that a lot of CCA pastors aren't educated at a high level or don't have the, the resources like we have? Yeah, so uh, most ministers, of course, in Malawi, they, they get some training for sure. And if you talk of uh, mainline churches like uh, the CCAP, their ministers, they go up to a first degree level. Uh, they are trained there. So in terms of education, we can say, yeah, we thank the Lord for that. Again, I might not always agree with the type of uh, theological training they get, but at least they get some kind of uh, theological training. But the challenge, I mean, the main challenge, as you rightly observe, are resources. So books are not easy to come by. Uh, they are expensive to get. And really, as far as I know in Malawi, I don't know any uh, publisher that uh, publishes good reformed books. So if you are to get them, the process that I know is South Africa. That's where you can get them. Uh, so yeah, uh, resources are huge, a huge challenge. And I know ministers uh, who just maybe use their Bible and maybe a few commentaries, something maybe like Matthew Henry, maybe. Uh, yeah, but it's a big challenge. Resources are a big challenge. Yeah, I mean, I think this guy was getting most of his stuff again off the TV, um, listening to TV evangelists. So, you know, between listening to prosperity preachers and opening his Bible, you know, it, it was really quite concerning. Now, <clears throat> to, just to turn it, I mean, there's a lot of talk about an African theology. There's an African Bible commentary. Do you think there's a specific angle uh, that African Christians have that the rest of us perhaps don't don't see a, an African perspective. Yeah, yeah, no, no. So, so, so I like I think what you're saying, uh, an African perspective on uh, theology. I, I always get much concerned when we talk of uh, African theology because um, um, my understanding does should, should be universal, uh, but applied in a context. So we, we begin from there. Unit God's truth, uh, which is universal, uh, which is not just African, but is truth all over wherever you are. And then applying that truth in a context of an Africa, uh, of an African. So, uh, for example, uh, when we come to the Bible, when we talk about a family, for example, I think as an African, I'm going to understand family more like an extended family because this is. Uh, typically, in, at least in Malawi, growing up, I've grown up with my cousins and all that, living in our home as part of our family, because for some reason, maybe they're orphans, maybe 
their parents are not able to provide for them, so they will come. While uh, our friends from the West, they might look that differently because for them, a family might be just uh, the husband and wife and their children, uh, the nuclear family. Uh, so, yes, so the truth of family, as we see it in the scripture, how do we apply it in an African context? And maybe how do we apply it in a Western context? So, yes, I agree. There is an African perspective to God's truth, meaning that the same truth which applies to the West should be applied in an African context. And applying that might look different from the way it might be applied somewhere else. Yeah. I guess, I mean, you take the view of a family. There's a sense in which you guys are nearer to a biblical view of a family than we are. Um, so, you know, your your culture is very similar to Middle Eastern culture in, in biblical times. Yeah? Yes, I would agree. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. What about stuff like worship? I'm really uh, intrigued by by this. I mean, in, in your church, is it a, a Western form of singing, for example, or would it be... Um, more influenced by African culture? Yes, yes. Again, yeah, that's uh, another issue. And uh, it's, I think, an area that has to be navigated uh, very well. Um, again, for example, the issues of uh, instruments and all that. Should we have an African drum uh, in worship and not just another, another drum? I think that should be, um, uh, should be considered wisely. And I think the approach that we have taken, like at our church, for example, is uh, for us as a session to, to sit down and say what, uh, what works well, what is more uh, true in our context. So, again, things are changing a lot. So you can come to Blanca, for example. We are in the middle of the city of Blanca. Uh, it's very interesting. One of the things that you're going to notice is when you are ministering in Blanca with the younger generation that is coming up, they would prefer to communicate in English rather than the local language, which is Chichewa. Uh, because most of the young people now, they're exposed to what is called the global village, and they want to communicate in English. And uh, as, as also some of them have been exposed, most of them exposed to um, Western hymns, songs, and all that. And they would like to see that as well. So if we are to... Um, to introduce an African drum, sadly, you can't believe it, but for younger generation growing up in the city, they're not much used to that. So there is need for wisdom. While if I go to uh, a rural context, if I introduce their, um, a hymn uh, that is more Western, it will be strange again to them. The African, dream might, uh, the African drum might be closer to their context. So I think there is wisdom in applying that. I think just having... Uh, one-fits-all approach, I don't think, is wise. Yeah. Isn't that interesting, you know, that your main concern is obviously the gospel rather than to preserve any particular culture. Now, uh, I'm, I'm really interested in this. A lot of folk who go to the U.S. and sit for seminary stay there because, you know, it's a far more comfortable life. Yeah. Um, I hope it's not too personal a question, but were, were you tempted or did you always feel the calling back to Malawi? Yeah, no, thank you. That's a good question. Yeah, so uh, to be honest, were I tempted that maybe I should stay there? Yes. Uh, as you rightly say, uh, it's, um, it's easy life, very comfortable life in many, many ways. Um, and just again, just to share with you, when I, when I had shared with uh, one of my friends here uh, that I'm coming back, this is one of the questions that he asked me. 
Are you really sure you want to come back? Uh, Malawi is one of the poorest countries in the world. And right now, you are in one of the richest countries in the world. Do you really want to come to one of the poorest countries in the world? And I had to ask them, yes, I want to come. What about your children? Are you concerned? Are you thinking about your children? I said, yes. Uh, but I still wanted to come because when I was going to the U.S., my heart had always been in Malawi. I wanted to see uh, faithful churches. I wanted to see uh, the gospel being preached faithfully. Now, you look at America, they, they have many pastors there and well-trained who are able to preach the gospel. Uh, comparing that with my own context, there are fewer pastors uh, who are able to do that. And I thought, I think I'll be more beneficial uh, to the kingdom of Christ back here in Malawi than uh, in America. So we return our home and we love it here. Uh, we believe the Lord wants us to be here. Great. Um, is, is your church growing? Have you got plans for the future? You said that you were thinking of planting another one in Blantyre. How's that going? Yes, no, we are thankful to the Lord uh, that the Lord is growing. Just, again, this is a Presbyterian a confessional church that we are planting. And it's not easy, uh, David, to plant that type of a church in our context because um, uh, prosperity gospel is very appealing. And uh, actually, it's so easy to plant a prosperity gospel preaching church because it's just a matter of just telling people, come and uh, Jesus is going to give you what you need. So easy to do that. Uh, you don't do that in a reformed church. You are preaching the gospel that people are sinners and they need to believe in Christ, that they, they, they can't serve themselves. That, humanly speaking, that's not very popular. But the Lord has been very precious that uh, uh, we have been preaching the gospel and people have, have come to hear the gospel and they keep on coming and the church really is growing. Uh, so for that, we are thankful. And uh, yes, we are planting another church next year because the the vision is to plant more churches. Uh, we'd like to see a vision like that, the one you, you had uh, and I believe you still have, uh, every ch a church in every town and village. I uh, would like to see a reformed faithful church in every town and village in Maui. So yeah, we, we, we are working so hard uh, for that and praying as well. And we believe the Lord is going to grant the desire of our heart. Well, that's, that's a great message. Now, just a final question, uh, Confix. How can we help you here in Scotland? Um, is there something that we can do for Malawi? Yes, yeah, thank you. Um, for sure, the first thing that we, uh, you can do is to pray for us, uh, that the Lord will keep us faithful, that the Lord will bless this work, as we also are praying for you as well in Scotland. Uh, so that we really need the prayers. But also... Um, I think now what we need is a partnership. Uh, in, in the past, it has been uh, missionaries coming to, uh, uh, to Africa and saying, okay, we know what Africa needs. Uh, we know what Malawi needs. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. But I think where we are at this point is where it's a mutual partnership. We sit together and say, okay, how do we help? What do we have? And what can you benefit from what we have? So by that, what I'm saying is, uh, for sure, we need resources uh, in terms of, like, for example, you're just talking about books. I, it's easier for you to find books there. You have publishers. Uh, we don't have. So if we can find a partnership when, uh, which, in which we can have easy 
access to the books, uh, good sound books that will be uh, very helpful. Um, and again, we cannot uh, deny this part uh, I mean, in terms of uh, uh, finances. I think the church in the West has been blessed more than the church in, in Africa, in that area. Uh, if we're able to share that as well, resources, financial resources, that will also uh, be great. But it's a matter of sitting down as partners, uh, not like, okay, we, we know what you need, we're going to do this, but no, sitting down, discussing and agreeing uh, what needs are here in Malawi and how the church uh, in Scotland can step into help. Confix, it's been a pleasure talking to you. To our listeners, sorry that the sound production is not uh, as good as in other ones. We have got internet issues, uh, which has caused the the issues with the sound. But but I hope uh, we can clear it enough uh, up for you to enjoy the podcast. Um, Confix, remind me the name of your church so that folk can look at the website. Yes, our church is called Christ. Presbyterian Church in Blantyre, Malawi. Okay, Christ Presbyterian Church, Blantyre, Malawi. Please look it up, um, get the website, have a look, and see what God is doing in Malawi. Conflicts, thank you very much. Thank you, listeners, and we look forward to you joining us again for our next edition of the Healthy Gospel Church podcast. Thank you. Have a great day. Yeah, thank you, David, for having me. God bless.